not so much that it's the actual EG finding, but it's the way we interpret it. And I've been doing this the same way for X number of years. And until somebody's like, well, why do you do it that way? And I'm like, oh, hold on. Like, let me really dig deep into like why I said that. Hello, Homo Sapiens. This week on Epilepsy Sparks Insights, we are talking to Shilpa Reddy, a pediatric epileptologist from Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville in Tennessee, um, who as well as directly treating children with epilepsy and working with their families actually. She lectures new clinicians on how to accurately diagnose kids through EEG readings. Shilpa tells us how that she learns from her students and how the field of epileptology is an ever-growing, exciting field to work in. If epilepsy research and treatments are of interest to you, then make sure that you press the subscribe or follow button and hit that bell to receive notifications of our weekly episodes. My name is Shilpa Reddy. I'm a pediatric epileptologist in Nashville, Tennessee, and I work at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. So I'm a neurologist that specializes in kids that have epilepsy. Why did you choose to specialize in the epilepsies? Great question. When I was very young, I always wanted to be a doctor, and I thankfully had a lot of good role models. Um, and so I knew I wanted to be a doctor, and I knew I wanted to work with kids. And when I started medical school, I kind of gravitated towards the neurosciences with the brain anatomy, the physiology of how the neurons work. Crazy exciting. Yes. And then as I was a young medical student, I was able to spend some time in, our, uh, in the pediatric neurology clinic at the University of Iowa, fabulous mentors and teachers there, and I just kind of, again, more gravitated towards the epilepsy side of things uh, within the field. When I did residency, I, I knew that I really loved epilepsy, and it just kind of deepened as I learned more. And then finally, as I did my fellowship, also at Vanderbilt, um, I really had kind of, was more in awe of like how the field is evolving and changing, and how much more there still is to know out there. Um, so it was just kind of a, a deeper respect that I gained for the field. And so tell us about your work now and how you're getting others to join your ship and learn more about the epilepsies. Yeah, so I am the fellowship director for the Epilepsy Fellowship. So I really get an opportunity to work with people that are still in training, they're still learning, they're kind of uh, getting their roots in epilepsy. So I, I really love that it's, it's extremely fulfilling. And the nice thing about that is they're at that point in their career that they are also teaching me a lot because as we mentioned, the field is constantly evolving, the technology is changing, um, and we learn more and more. So you know, they get to work with different attendings across the, the enterprise and the institution. So when I, they come back to work with me, they can teach me like what they learned from so-and-so or from this conference or what they read. So I'm pretty humbled by that. Um, and then on a residency level, you know, we have a pediatric and adult neurology residency here at Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. and they all spend three years in neurology, and it's a mix of both pediatric and adult. When I graduated from this program, I thought I was very solid in my EEG reading mm -hmm. skills, um, and I kind of wanted others to be as excited as I was and have, you know, that passion. <laughs> so what I did is create a curriculum for the three years of their neurology training, and it starts out kind of learning the basics of EEG, the fundamentals, and as they get on year by year, they add to that kind of repertoire. So each time they spend time on a formal EEG rotation, they go through the objectives um, and, and kind of sit down with the fellows or the attendings that are reading EEGs for that week or that month. But I've also supplemented that with more of a self-guided module. So it's almost like a PowerPoint where um, it's a Q&A format where I put an EEG slide up, ask a question about it, and then they kind of think about it, 
go to the next slide and realize they either got it wrong or right, and then there's a small explanation for each finding or whatever concept I want them to grasp. And then the other piece of the curriculum is, is more of an objective piece where they can take a test before they take the rotation and then after. So as individuals, they can see how much they've improved or if there's areas that they needed to focus on more. Um, and I've kind of taken that and, and tried to at least open the use of the curriculum across the country. And I've been so, so grateful that a few of institutions and other residency programs have asked me to speak um, with them about how we implemented the curriculum and then I share the documents with them because they're, they're just PDFs and it's, you know, if, if other people can benefit and like I said, it's more of a self-guided thing, you know, it's great that if, if even one individual can use it, then great. And they go into epilepsy, I consider that a victory. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of people too that may not go into like the field of epilepsy per se, but in pediatrics, a lot of neurology patients have some form of epilepsy or some type of seizure. And so a lot of our trainees will go into private practice where they are reading, even though they're not epilepsy trained formally, they do, they're kind of the first line of treating these patients and they read their EEGs. So it's nice for them to have like a really solid um, foundation of EEG and also the confidence. You know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome in every field of medicine and every career. Um, and there was a recent pub publication that talked about how confident neurology residents are when they graduate about reading EEG, and it's less than 50%. And so one of my big goals is to really not only increase their curriculum and their knowledge, but just to, to give them that confidence, too, that they, they've gotten good training and they are able to read. And do you encourage the students to seek more information as well? So like rather than them being consider themselves as good at reading an EEG, they'll realise actually maybe I need to brush up on this later or there might be somebody that contradicts my interpretation of this EEG and I should take that on board. I love that you said that because more so on the fellow level where I feel like they have a basic understanding and they've learned the fundamentals, I actually encourage the fellows to challenge me or challenge whoever and say, well, I would have read it this way or I would have been interpreted this way and then I'm like that's great tell me like your reasons why because um, you know a lot of times as I'm not calling myself super old but as we get older in our <laughs> yeah thanks you like it hello <laughs> cover up my gray hairs a little bit but um, <laughs> I think we get into this like very comfortable way of living and practicing medicine and we we just say well this is how we've been doing it for 20 years 10 years and you don't think about why you make these decisions. And so when the fellows come, I, I think it's great to have a fresh perspective because they may have learned something or they may have seen something that, that forces me to ask myself, like, why did I say that? Like, why am I choosing to make decisions that way? So you've just given me this flashback. So I was walking down um, this street in London once. Someone told me that people um, sold drugs down this, this road. And I was like, really? I walk down here all the time, never noticed. But the next time I walked down that street, I saw it straight away because I was looking for it. But I, if I was not searching for that, and that, so this is why I'm thinking of what you're saying, like I wasn't looking for a particular thing. So I, it just went over my head. And it, do you get why I'm comparing the two? It's like that with EEGs, no? No, it's, I 100% agree. And it's not so much that it's the actual EEG finding, but it's the way we interpret it. And I've been doing this the same way for X number of years. And until somebody's like, well, 
why do you do it that way? And I'm like, oh, hold on. Like, let me really dig deep into like why you said that. Because I do it with residents too. You never want, I don't feel like you truly, truly understand anything until you can explain it to someone to like the very, very, very detail. Uh Because it forces you to really think about like getting to the, to the physiology of things, anatomy of things, um, and then come up with like an answer and say, this is how I got here. But it takes time and it takes, like I said, that deeper level. Um, it's easy to memorize facts. It's easy to look at EEG lines and say, this is what it is. But without truly understanding the building blocks, you, you know, you miss out on a lot. Something that um, we've been discussing this side of the pond for a while is the misinterpretation of EEGs leading to misdiagnosis of epilepsy. Would you say that happens a lot? Have you heard of that happening quite a lot? This is fascinating because I do give a lecture to the fellows about how to interpret normal EEG findings, which can be misinterpreted as, to your point, something abnormal. Um, I will say in pediatrics, I'm going to make general statements because I can only comment on our practice, but yeah, sure. we do get a handful of EEGs that you know, are read by our colleagues in different parts of the state or different, um, different practices. And what I will say is, I think most people like to look at the EEG themselves and have their own data because, remember I was talking, there is some subjectivity to interpretations. And so we want to make sure if we're treating somebody, we know that like we're confident that we made that decision based on something we saw rather than something that like the patient reported or is written on a piece of paper that we we don't know what the actual like the the physical data looks like. So I don't know if I've had a ton of that experience on the pediatric side, um, but I do know there's literature published about certain findings on adult EEGs that get misinterpreted as epilepsy, um, and that's not very uncommon. So to me, it just kind of points to two things. One is just boosting the education that neurology residents and trainees have um, before they go out to practice, whether it's academics practice or wherever in the country, outside the country. Um, And then two, I think it points to how we can collaborate with neurologists across any any state, country, um, because I think the more communication we have, the more humility we have. Our goal is to treat patients, right? So it's not about ego and saying like, well, you interpreted this and I interpreted this. Like, let's work together, figure out what's best for the patient and, and be able to kind of have these discussions. It is about, uh, yeah, just valuing what other people say, taking that into consideration because we're none of us, none of us are always right, right? <laughs> and there's always aspects at which you can look, uh, look at things. 100%. What does the future hold for your residents and how are things going to go forward in terms of, you know, pediatric epilepsy, uh, neurophysiology, all, this, all these things put together? So what I find really exciting is some of the technologies and like updates that we've had in epilepsy surgery uh-huh. the field in general is shifting because we've classically thought we, we try medications we try multiple medications for epilepsy and if that doesn't work we just keep trying more medications um, which is you know it's good that we have more medications available on the market you know over the last like 10-20 years um, but what we found is that there are certain types of surgery that can be curative for certain types of epilepsy. And I know that I can't speak for everybody because everyone has different reasons for, the re- for their epilepsy and seizures. But um, what we're doing is trying to, as a society, is increase that awareness 
not only at like our level as epileptologists, but then at the general neurologist level, at the general pediatric pediatrician or general practitioner levels, and the patient level, because often patients can be their kids or their own like advocate. Um, so increasing the awareness about the types of surgery available and also which ones would be applicable to them or not. So what we're doing is we have our Twitter handle, uh, VUMC Ped Epilepsy, where we can publish like, or not necessarily publish, but just make, there's events available, this is the type of seizure, you know, going through different facts and things like that. Um, we've also been able to create some resources in our clinic with the help of our amazing residents um, that patients can scan a QR code and then go directly to this part of the website that talks about what's an MRI, you know, what's, what is epilepsy surgery? That's so cool. What is a ketogenic diet? So that's kind of cool. Um, and then kind of the next piece of what I want to do personally is go out into our state of Tennessee and more like into pediatricians offices and our like neurologist offices and introduce ourselves so that people know that we're available people know that they can refer any time um, because I don't think there's any you know there's a lot of barriers of course to patients getting access to appropriate care and I'm not going to be able to address all of those with my presence but I think just again having open communication understanding what those barriers might be the first step is talking to them where they live right and talking to providers that they've known their whole lives so that we can form a relationship and, and be able to help each other. Thanks so much for your encouragement today, Shulpa, and letting us know that you are like truly going the extra mile or kilometer or whatever people want to call it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and there is heaps and heaps of information out there for individuals, for families, and for other clinicians. Um, just follow Shilpa or come my way and I, will, I can forward you on. The more we work together and share our information, I think the more we can improve people's lives. Thanks so much. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. To learn more about Shilpa, make sure that you check her out at toryrobinson.com slash epilepsy hyphen sparks hyphen insights, where you can find links to her work. And if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the channel to receive weekly episodes featuring some of the world's leading epilepsy specialists and researchers. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.